This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So since the AI program ChatGPT was released just late last year, schools from secondary to tertiary have struggled with how to respond to the technology. Everything from embracing it as a learning tool to blanket bans and returning to pen and paper. Every state and territory, excluding South Australia, actually put a temporary ban on chat GPT in public schools as it was really worried about privacy and plagiarism. But as of just late last week, it's been decided that AI, including chat GPT, will be allowed in Australian schools from 2024. Education ministers formally backed this new national framework as a way to try and help us with this new form of technology. But what will this new framework look like? Who has access to these forms of AI? And I guess the big question is, is it cheating or is it a new way to learn that has to be embraced? Good morning. I'm Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warnable. Dan, where do we begin when it comes <laughs> to AI? It's not just students using it, it's teachers as well debate around is this a shortcut you know is this cheating Mm -hmm. or is that honestly is that just an old-fashioned concept have we moved from encyclopedia britannica to the internet and now to ai and we just have to accept it is this the new frontier for us i don't know rich this is an idea that i think excites me terrifies me and also makes me a little bit jealous all at the same time We know AI is everywhere and has been for a long time, but it really exploded with ChatGPT towards the end of last year. I guess the thing I want to know is exactly how it's being used now and can be used in the future. Because with schooling, with education, the thing that comes to mind, you know, rightly or wrongly, is the idea of a student just saying, hey, ChatGPT, can you write me this essay while I sit on the PlayStation? Which is, for me, where the little bit of jealousy comes in. But, but is that the reality, right? Is that I mean, how it actually works? Yeah, that's what I... The thing is, that's probably a little bit of a closed-minded view because you think about AI and the systems and how adaptive they are. These are This is a system online that can provide, you know, personalised interactions, which could actually be a good thing. If you mm. think about things like students in remote areas, students with specific disadvantages, does AI need a framework or does it just need a, a makeover, an image makeover perhaps? I read a quote from a Year 12 student who referred to AI as her study buddy and we... Mm. You know, going through year 12, we had actual study buddies, like real people beside <laughs> us, whether they were helpful or not. I mean, maybe this would be more helpful, but I love that idea of could it be really beneficial when it comes mm-hmm. to either remote learning, maybe people with special needs, mm-hmm. if you have learning difficulties in some area. But then there is equity and yep. not everyone is going to have access to the level of AI in the same way. So when we start to throw all of this around, you can see how much there is to get through today. It has been approved. We can now have AI in public schools. The framework is yet to be set up. So what does that look like? If you're a student, if you're a teacher from high school to university, do you use AI in your education? What sort of restrictions potentially do we need in this framework? Do you believe it's cheating or is it just the latest tool that we need to learn how to use? 
You're listening to the Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt, and I'm not a real person. This is the future. Good morning. I, for one, welcome the technology overlords that have just taken over. That's it. Uh, that welcome. was my AI co-host there. My other I'm co-host. already out of a job. <laughs> Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warnable. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Are you currently using AI within the education sector? How are you using it? What do you use it for? Andrew Dalgleish is the president of the Victorial Principals Association. And Andrew, you've just returned from Finland, of course, Finland, where all big and open conversations happen, but where principals from all around the globe gathered to discuss the future of AI in education. Was this a room of fear or excitement? Listening to your introduction, certainly much of what you, uh, you you've shared already was was very much the conversations we were having. Um, is it a room of fear? Is it a room of optimism? Uh, I think a little of all. I wouldn't say fear, but but certainly wanting to understand a little bit more about how can we utilise AI, which is with us, to enhance. Uh, education for all young people, certainly with equity at the core of what it is that we wish to do. Andrew, how common is it at the moment? There's a a federal inquiry going on at the moment that heard from teachers specifically saying at least, you know, 50% of them have had to mark assignments that they felt certain had been written by ChatGPT or or other AI programs and, and that inquiry resumes this week. How big of a of a thing is it in schools for both students and teachers alike currently? Look, Daniel, it's going to continue to evolve. Um, We certainly know that there are a number of students that may be using it, certainly in in a homework space, uh, and certainly for teachers, if they're using it to deepen their lesson and enhance their lesson, then it's going to be be an absolute positive. One of the things that we certainly need to look at around that that traditional teaching methodology of of writing an assignment and handing it in for correction uh, has changed and has changed immeasurably. Um, In fact, you'll see probably more and more when we look at assessment of the the work being done in school. Um, Now, now teachers will understand generally if, if a young person is using their work uh, or if they're using something like uh, AI to, to enhance that. And there are even chat GPT uh, tools, which are plagiarism checkers, which can actually check and and advise if there is uh, a lot of uh, independent work going in mm. or if, in fact, it is coming from beyond that and using chat GPT or, or artificial intelligence. There's a text here that says, this is all a bit too late for my Year 12 son who found out a smarter student than him used it for his English oral exam, did no preparation, just read out the chat GPT essay. He got a really high result. But my son tried to do it himself and only just passed. My son saw this as unfair. The result was worth 40% of his marks for that unit. That text there, that would be quite common, I could imagine. I mean, does it come down to declaration? Do you need to declare that this was written with, in conjunction with or purely by AI? And do you need to be marked differently? Look, Rochelle, I think, again, this is this is why we're looking at putting in place some pretty clear frameworks, which, again, the Minister's looked at and will be released soon. Uh, it's important that there is clarity and, and transparency uh, around what is your work and what may be assisted or supported through generative AI. 
to, to ensure again that there's equity and fairness in, uh, in, in assessments that are being undertaken. Andrew Dalgleish, stay with us because Jane has given us a call from where I am in Warrnambool. Jane, you could have just popped into the studio. <laughs> uh, good morning to you, Jane. What would you like to add? Hi, Daniel. Actually, I'm pulled over on the side of the road coming from Ballarat home, so a bit far from the studio. Um, oh, next time. I just, wanted, I just wanted to talk about an experience I had last year. I was studying a language and I was studying a French text and I asked ChatGPT, which was the first time that I um, fiddled with it, I suppose, to give me some clarification on the themes in a particular passage in this poem. And when it gave me the, the answers, it, um, it mentioned a character that, um, I had the book in front of me that actually wasn't in that part of the poem and told me that that character said or did that. Um, and I and my next line was, no, that's incorrect. That wasn't that character. And it then came up and said, oh, you're correct. Actually, it was such and such <gasps> character. So and you're I correcting like, chat GPT, Jane? <laughs> well, I don't know that I was, I was questioning it. I don't know that I was correcting it. But because I had the text in front of me, I knew that I was correct, which made me think the information that it's getting from isn't more of a study buddy who may be incorrect rather than uh, an encyclopedia which you take as correct. Wow. I mean, that's the thing. You have to be able to question and also trust yourself a yes. little bit as well, Jane, yes. and not just put it forward. It's sort of like the old days of, well, I watched the movie. I'm pretty sure it's the same as the text. <laughs> it's got to be the same as the book, it's right? It's got to be the same. So has that changed yes. your attitude now towards using AI, Jane? Um, it's made me it, – I probably – I mean, I would use it if I had the idea and I wanted to clarify, which was what I did. Like, I wanted to clarify, did I have those themes correctly and what that – character was intending to say you know and there's a bit of background information on that character and then it made me go oh okay hang on maybe i'm wrong there until i checked it so i i wouldn't take it for gospel after that experience no i don't know maybe that was a one-off i don't know if anyone else has had that experience Jane, good to hear from you. Thank you. Andrew Dalgleish, as the president of the Victorian Principals Association, it's now allowed, right? So there was a temporary ban that was put on all public schools, except for, I think, South Australia. That's now been lifted as of last week because there was huge conversations from educators, from ministers, from people really close to the, to the education sector. A new framework is going to be put into place, but that framework is going to be left up to a lot of the individuals schools. Is that the right way to do it? Look, I think each each state and territory shall, are, are also uh, unpacking a little bit more around what that framework will look like and what additional supports may be uh, provided to schools regarding that. Now, the, the, the last speaker was, was absolutely correct in when she was talking about trusting artificial intelligence or, or, or generative AI, it isn't always accurate. So these are some of the things that we need to be aware of and, and, and actually being able to assess, is the information accurate? You know, as we, as we continue to develop our use of and understanding of generative AI, uh, the policy and support will continue to adjust accordingly as well. And Andrew, we know teachers are under an incredible amount of stress and strain at the moment, working really long hours. Is there the potential that something like a chat GPT, an AI tool like this, could actually ease the workload on them and help them actually, you know, have a bit more time with students in a one-to-one -one case where they're not, you know, double-checking, triple-checking everything for those that submitted bit of work? Could it help teachers? 
Look, absolutely, Daniel. Certainly the conversations we were having are around this, where students may be able to use uh, chat GPT or, or generative AI, whichever version it is, to, to answer some of those um, high-level questions and then allowing the teacher to go deeper or more individual support for students as required. So, yeah, we, we absolutely see some benefits here from uh, from part of those uh, those areas. Just finally, Andrew, how much of this is an equity issue? I mean, we talk about AI like it's just there, affordable and available to anyone and everyone who wants to be able to use it. Is it that simple? <sighs> Look, again, we know that, that equity and access to, to ICT is an issue. You know, we found it through COVID as well. Um, and certainly colleagues who, who come from Queensland, Western Australia, when they start to look at the, the tyranny of distance, they understand that it's all fine and well for those of us who, who live and work in large metropolitan cities, we have access. But for those out rural and regional, they do not have the same level of access. So again, worldwide, mm. if, if, if we are to be using these tools, we need to ensure that there's an equitable access of, uh, of tools and internet. Wow, the future of the work that you do is just fascinating. Andrew, thank you so much for trying to explain that to us. I did understand pretty much most of it. <laughs> so thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michelle. Andrew Delgleish is the Victorian Principals Association, the president of the Victorian Principals Association. So if you're a student, if you're a teacher, whether it be primary school, secondary school or within tertiary education, are you currently using AI and how do you use it? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So as of late last Friday, it was decided that the ban will be lifted on AI in school. So are you currently using it as a teacher, as a student? one three hundred triple two seven seven four. And joining you in the studio this morning, Richard Bassett is the Deputy Director and Head of Academic Programs and also a Senior Forensic Ondotologist. I'm pretty sure I've completely stuffed that up. And Coordinator <laughs> of Identification Services at the Institute of Forensic Medicine. Richard, a warm welcome back to the conversation hour. Thanks, Rochelle. Lovely to be here. Last time you joined, both Daniel and I, actually, we were looking at the future of AI and death. And this is AI and education. Correct. It's already being used in your world of forensics, in autopsies. You're teaching people to use it at a university level. You were sitting there listening to that conversation. How do you feel about AI in public schools and in education? I think... um I don't think it really matters how I feel because I think it's here and it's here to stay. I think one of the major issues we have with uh, these large language models, ChatGPT is just one. There's new ones all the time. You can download them as apps on your phone and they're all based on different data sets, data sets that we don't even know what's in them. But um, it's here to stay. I think the major issue is that it came upon us so quickly. This time last year, we didn't even know it existed, this sort of stuff. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now it's here and it's come on so rapidly that we're playing catch up with how to deal with it because I can guarantee you the students, at least that I teach at university, undergraduate and postgraduate, and my own kids are far better at this stuff than I am. <laughs> and <laughs> they are way ahead of us already. Yeah. So um, that's a real issue. Another issue, a potential issue, well, it's a real issue, is the fact that ChatGPT in particular is based on all the data on the internet up until, I think, 2020. Uh, It doesn't go for new stuff beyond then. But um, it's based on data from the internet, and that's not a representative data set of the human race and what they're thinking about and what research is being produced and what questions Mm -hmm. are being asked and answered. Um, There's nowhere in ChatGPT that there's data from, for instance, um, all of the Chinese 
um, internet versions and WeChats, et cetera, et cetera. So the data is inherently biased towards, I guess, the Western world. Mm-hmm. So you're going to miss out on a lot of insight, intuition, um, ways of learning, ways of looking yeah. at things by not having the other half of the world <laughs> involved in the data set that's giving you the answers to all these questions. Oh. Richard, we've got this text in from Alan in Clifton Hill. He says, as AI grows and feeds on itself, how long will it be before it'll be impossible to differentiate between fact and fiction? Very scary. And I think that almost goes to what you're talking about there as well, is if it's drawing on information from the internet, we know the internet's great, but it's not always 100% reliable or accurate, is it? No, it's definitely not. Um, Old hands like us who have been around forever and have some, I don't know, wisdom just to do with how long you've been around can pick up things that are wrong that come out of chat GPT and things that are wrong come out of there all the time. If you ask it, I, I asked it a question once, can you please uh, name all the fem- US female presidents who are taller than five foot nine? <laughs> and it listed about 10 women, <laughs> including <laughs> Hillary Clinton, including Michelle Obama, <laughs> including, I think, Gerald Ford's wife, but none of them <laughs> were ever a president of America. So it does give false information. And for students in particular, if any are listening, including some of my university students, students, (laughs) um, you ask ChatGPT to write you a research paper on, let's, you know, for example, um, the Kachin Forest Massacre in World War II. And it'll write a research paper. You don't know if every fact in there is correct, but a really good way to pick it up is that all the references at the end, which are the references that the article drew on, a lot of them are gobbledygook. They're not even real references. They're made up. And, I mean, we heard a quote before that 50% of teachers believe that they're marking essays that have been written by AI. Yep. As a lecturer, as someone that sits down, reads through students' work, A, do they need to declare how much of that piece was researched or written by AI? And if they do or don't, are you able to pick up, like, can you tell the difference between artificial intelligence and a human being? We certainly can if a student submits a piece of work and then they submit another piece of work and it's radically different in its tone and how it's how it's expressed. Um, that's one way of picking up. Obvious glaring errors in the content is another way of picking it up. But so what the do way you we approach say to that student? Do you then pull them up and say, hey, again, I'll use that reference yeah. of that was the character's name in the movie, not in the book. Exactly. exactly. So what do you say to them? So I know that you've used... ChatGPT or one of these large yeah. language models to, to write this, um, you can't do that. Do it again. <laughs> um, Read the book. Yeah, I mean, you can't take them back to pen and paper. That's never going to work. They're always be, going to be on computers. They live online. Everything mm. they do is online. That's their entire lives. And I think as old fogies, we've forgotten what it's like to be in a new and incredibly diverse wide universe where my eight-year-old can get on a game and be talking to some kid in America Mm. or some other kid in Scandinavia playing Mm. games. And as we were children, that was just completely unheard of. And they see it as their everyday normal life. So um, we have to come – it's us that has to come to terms with how it's used and that the information we're giving the students and the information they're getting from ChatGPT, they need to be taught what's rubbish and what's not on these sorts of things. And that's exactly what we're hearing on the text line too. Honestly, what a load of gobbledygook. Yes. Our kids and society are getting more and more lazy and results is educating is failing and we can see it everywhere. But it may not just be that. Candice has given us a call from Gisborne and wants to have her say. Candice, good morning. Good morning. What would you like to say? 
Um, well, I was wondering if we should, rather than um, the kids are going to be using or students are going to be using AI and whether it should be about judging on how efficiently they use it. Um, are they phrasing the right questions to get the right information? Are they fact-checking the information, um, teaching them how not all information is equal, um, asking them to find differing views, you know, on the same subject, teaching them about the ethics and the morals of using ChatGBT. So rather than doing the traditional assessments, mm. changing the way we assess students, because this is what they will be doing in the future, is using Yeah, is that, and you're nodding. Uh, yeah, I agree with that entirely. Um, it's educating our students, be they eight-year-olds or 23-year-olds at university, how to... and. But I'll get back to my original point. If you pose a question, an essay question to a student and ask them to write an essay, their policy at our uni is that they can use that to um, discover dot points or a structure Mm -hmm. for their essay. Then they have to write it themselves. It's really good for that. If they use it to write their whole essay, um, a smart enough teacher, if they've got the time to pick through it, will be able to pick. It'll it'll have errors in it. That'll give it away. Uh, Some of the plagiarism detection programs... Um, I think they can pick up some of it, but you can always get a chat GPT essay and change it to be yourself. Mm. <laughs> change oh, it around. See, that's where my brain implodes yeah. a little bit. And to know to know whether it's um, for a student to know whether what he's handing in is reasonable and reliable, um, he has to know his subject, or they have to know their subject. Um, and for students who have got really, really are really, really clever, but they have trouble expressing themselves. For example, they can't write very well. They can't write fluent in English. Um, ChatGPT can be a real help because it can organise that student's thoughts mm. into such a way that whoever marking that essay finds it a pleasure to read rather than a t- rather than a chore. Before we have a chat to the Executive Manager for Education, Prevention and Inclusion from the eSafety Commission, let's have a chat to Jody, who's in Geelong. Good morning, Jody. Hi, Rochelle. It's lovely to be able to speak to you. Yeah, lovely to speak to you. Do you use AI? Um, no, I write a lot of reports, but I've um, I've avoided it so far. I think it's a bit of an overwhelming word that I'd like world that I'd like to learn a lot more about before engaging in. But look, I used to be an educator, and so I certainly see the perspectives where there's advantages with being able to prepare lesson plans and these sorts of things utilizing ChatGPT. But the monitoring of it with education is one of my real concerns. And I kind of see it as a little like deciding that the Olympics can utilise all performance-enhancing drugs. Um, It kind of turns education into the same kind of thing. So just wondering how that monitoring is to take place and whether or not we do just Mm -hmm. kind of drop the standards altogether and go, well, okay, the um, the Mm -hmm. most number of chemicals will be the winners. It's an interesting analogy, isn't it, the performance-enhancing drug analogy. So let's say you take cycling, for example, and there was a lot of debate around the time of people questioning that whether or not everyone was using performance-enhancing drugs. And if you didn't, then you're at a disadvantage and there was no way that you are going to win. So we might as well just all use it. And then you almost, by default, create a equal playing field. Mm. And that's, that, that sort of gets back to AI literacy. Um I understand the performance-enhancing drugs comparison. Either you know, and there will be people who are disadvantaged in the use of AI or by not having a performance-enhancing drug. Mm. But that's really about people in education um, 
teaching the proper use of it. And also, I think a really important thing to think about is that ChatGPT, it's rubbish in, rubbish out. So there are so many different ways to phrase a question to ChatGPT. There are people out there whose full-time employment is writing prompts for ChatGPT to get the right answers out of it. So students need to know the wording, the exact questions to ask to get the right answer out of ChatGPT, and that's an art in itself. An art that we're all learning in an increasingly digital world. Eric's given us a call from Rye. Good morning, Eric. Yeah, good morning. Um, 40, 50 years ago, I attended RMIT and I was confronted at the start of one course by a very, very different instructor who said, my aim will be to teach you to think, not to pass exams. Now, he made the statement, you can bring into my examination room any book you can write on your tie, on your sleeves, anywhere you like. Uh, The only thing you can't do in this examination room will be to ask somebody else, the answer to a question. So it, it strikes me as AI is a similar sort of, it's a tool. Um, it will, in the finish, uh, require people to think and come up with their own uh, sense of whether something is BS or truth. Um, and yeah, it's true. And you can't hold back progress. People are going to use it. So, And the other thing, Eric, not only people are going to use it within the education sector, they're going to work it, uh, use it in their working life. So we need to actually teach ourselves whether our young students or our mature age students or in or outside of the education system how to use it because it will become a part of our working lives and i know richard that's something that is already being used in the world of forensics and autopsies all sorts of things yeah correct it's being used well in every industry you can think of really real estate agents use it to write the blurbs for selling properties etc it's just it's just for it's just everywhere (laughs) that's the fun bit of being a real estate agent is turning something that's decrepit into you know what a renovator's delight (laughs) (laughs) this is the conversation hour on abc radio melbourne and victoria Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne, Daniel Miles, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warnable. As we talk about AI in education, it was decided late last week that the ban will be lifted on AI in our public schools. It is being used from students to teachers, a new framework is being put into place, so how are we going to use it? This message, very succinct. I'm an 80s student. I remember the same sort of, in inverted commas, laziness accusation when we started using scientific calculators at school. Then, no doubt, the same with computers for assignments, things move accept it. Also joining you in the studio, Richard Bassett, who is the Deputy Director and Head of Academic Programs at the Institute for Forensic Medicine at Monash University. Daniel, let's bring in Paul Clark the Executive Mm -hmm. Manager for Education, Prevention and Inclusion for the eSafety Commissioner. Paul, a big submission was made from you and from your department around some of the concerns it comes to AI in education. Education ministers and those connected to the sector have all got together and said that it's okay to use. Are you happy with that? Look, the eSafety Commissioner, we really believe that children and young people, and this has been talked about a little bit already on the program, but must learn about the use of generative AI technology in a developmentally, developmentally excuse me, appropriate ways, both in you know, school settings and with peers and with family. And by denying students that access or that ability to learn around these new technologies, it's also putting them at a greater risk from a safety perspective because if you don't understand a technology 
how it works, how you can use it best, you can also potentially put yourself at risk. Paul, we're talking about an appropriate framework for the use of AI within education. What would that look like? How could we make this appropriate, safe and acceptable in a school education system? So it's a really around a scaffolded approach, I suppose. And so it's about having resources for parents, resources for the students themselves. And from an eSafety Commissioner's point of view, what support can we provide to the education sector and to teachers to be aware of the risks, how to mitigate those risks, and then also to when things do go wrong, what action and steps can you take? In terms of being able to provide that for teachers in particular, this is technology that moves at such a rapid rate. I mean, we're talking about something that was really only created late last year and already it's versions and versions ahead of itself. How do you provide that support? How do you provide that framework when it's probably going to be 10 steps, if not 100 steps ahead of us constantly? Absolutely. Technology moves so fast and that's why in our toolkits for schools when we're working with the education sector, we have modules on how does how do schools deal with emerging technology. So it may not specifically address a particular app or a new particular tool, but the principles are the same. It's around how are the privacy settings being established? Does it give geo-tracking of students? Does it reveal identity? What, what security and safety mechanisms are in place? So that regardless of the actual technology itself are those principles, let's say online safety principles are the same. We're speaking with Paul Clark, the Executive Manager for Education, Prevention and Inclusion with the eSafety Commissioner. Paul, what are some of the safety risks when it comes to ChatGPT? What should people be wary of, uh, especially with young children accessing things like ChatGPT, which is so readily available? Why is this a safety concern? I think there are three kind of principal ones. The one that's been talked about already um, is, is around the bias of the data mm. and so in the australian context for example you know we we know some members of our community are more at risk of online abuse and online harm so for example we just did a research piece on aboriginal and Torres Strait islander youth and we know despite the positives that they um gain from the use of technology they're also three times more likely than the general population to be targets of online abuse with these biases come into play, it can actually potentially increase those risks. But then another really quite simple one is we've always been able to manipulate images or stories. Um, chat, you know, generative AI allows voice and image manipulation to happen at such a fast and easy pace that we're concerned and looking at the potential of how that could be abused in the context of cyberbullying of students mm. or even potentially um, targeting teachers. And then there's a message here that says, in a world of misinformation, the first thing we have to teach is misinformation. And that's what we need to look at first. Paul, thanks so much for your time and, and for your submission and your insights into this. We appreciate it. Pleasure. Paul Clark is the Executive Manager for Education Prevention and Inclusion. Richard Bassett is with you from Monash University, the Deputy Director and Head of Academic Programs for Forensic Medicine. When we talk about being able to take what we learn at school, at within university, and then apply it to a real world. That's something that you're currently seeing in the world of forensics and autopsies. But is there still a clash of those, like we were saying, us old codgers, maybe that are still learning about this, <laughs> and those that are coming through that are learning with AI as a study buddy? Are you seeing those two butt heads in the real world? Yeah, it is starting to get that way. It's a little bit soon yet to see the full impact because <clears throat> the students who are using ChatGPT have only been doing so for what, nine or ten months. 
Um, <laughs> Isn't that frightening to <laughs> say that? Oh, my God. And it's kind of almost taken over the conversation. I really, I really think as far as um, school-level children from probably about year seven onwards, they should be having dedicated subjects on the pitfalls and problems, the correct use of not only um, large language models like ChatGPT, but creation of deepfakes, recognition of deepfakes. Who deep teaches fakes, that, though? Et cetera, et cetera. Well, no one in schools, as far as I'm aware, I might be wrong because I don't actually know, and no one that I know of is teaching at a university, um, how to navigate your way around this sort of technology because it's only going to exponentially grow. I don't know what's going to come next. No one does, but there'll be something that um, will blow us out of the water again because it's just such a rapidly evolving evolving space. Um, so I think formal education for school kids and maybe even university children uh, or university students on things to look out mm. for, the correct usage, how to write a proper chat GPT prompt, how to mm. wingle out the bad references, what you should be using it for in your academic study because you will be using it all the time in your academic work and in the workplace as well as time goes on. Because um, you start to learn that yourself if you're using, say, a search engine like Google, right? You start to know which sites are dodgy, which you can trust yeah. and which mm. you can't and you, you'll go to... It's the same principle really, isn't it? It's the same and principle you, but I think... And at the moment, we've given an iPhone to someone in the Neolithic era and said, go and use that. They don't know how to use it. <laughs> They've got no idea. That's right. <laughs> so, I barely know how to use an iPhone either, to be fair. No, exactly. So, but the um, iPhone is the, is the, you know, the parable for ChatGPT. Kids don't know how to use it and yeah, adults it. don't know how to use it and how to deal with it and how to, how to vet it and how to critique what's coming out of these things, how to tell a fake image from a real one. I mean, you can, you know, watch jokes... You can watch things on Instagram of, you know, President Trump and President Obama telling jokes to each other and you cannot tell it's not real. But then you very quickly learn how to use it. I will never forget the first time I saw an iPhone. Someone had just come back from the States. No one here really had it. And he handed me this thing and I was like, but it's just a blank screen. Like what, how do you even, and now, you know, it's what we're just, what we're used to. Good morning, Carl. How are you feeling about AI at the moment? Uh, I'm feeling probably pro to a certain extent. I think I just want to bring some balance to a lot of the fear-mongering uh, that goes around when we have a new technology. Mm. If we go back to Socrates having a fear of us writing things down because it would make us forgetful, then we fear the telegram, the radio, the TV. Um, although there's a lot of concerns that are raised by it, as someone who works in the secondary sector but also as an academic um, at university, um, we need to acknowledge the positives as well, I think. So how do you then think we should be educating ourselves more, building frameworks. What's that next stage? Because the ban has been lifted, Carl. I mean, if you're yes. within the education sector, how how could it be used properly? I think it's about us almost having to overturn, overturn how we assess students. If I can use a tangible example, and this is one I use in the university spaces, presentations now when they have a Q&A section probably shows how flexible the student's knowledge is. It's all well and good to turn out That's a fantastic uh essay but if they're then prompted with questions at the end um, do they actually have the skills to demonstrate their understanding or is it only when they've been able to look it up copy paste i know there's ai detectors but they're relatively flawed still at this stage or you can take those auto generated responses and then put it in your own tone so it's about having flexible oh knowledge goodness. and actually changing how we assess how are you finding it used in education at the moment carl is it common it's very common but it can also be used for uh 
as a tool for teachers to enhance either mm-hmm. their lesson plans to take a whole range of content uh, to then produce lessons where the things the students have learned have then been uh, turned into trivia questions. Another way it's been used positively is where students are presented with essays written by ChatGPT and then for the students to mark them themselves and actually identify um, where has the tone gone wrong or what the mistakes are. So flipping it a bit, um, because the last thing we can do, it's almost this golden age fallacy of thinking uh, a bygone era was a better way to learn. It's all is here, so we have to embrace it. But uh, as a result, yes, we're teaching people how to you know, put uh, your tone onto what is generated from AI mm. and how to ensure mm. that you're using this technology correctly. Are we losing, and lots of people are saying this on text, are we then losing, we're gaining one skill and being able to use AI the, to the best mm. of our ability, but are we losing the skill to write, to form sentences properly, to be able to, you know, create a, a narrative and paragraphs and all of those sorts of things? Is that skill being lost? To a certain extent, it's lost or replaced, or you could say it's been upgraded. So if you look back to, there's plenty of articles coming out of the 70s when teachers would actually protest about the introduction of the calculator into the classroom would be the death of arithmetic. It's then just how you use that tool to advance the skills that you previously had. Mm. The same will be with this, that it's a tool, it's not a replacement for teachers, it's certainly not a replacement for the texts that are out there. Um, but there's ways to learn to prompt it and to help it as something that yeah. supplements your learning, doesn't take it over. I remember the yeah. day when we got given calculators. That was a big day. I barely knew how to use that anyway. So. Oh, <laughs> to be fair, I still don't know how to use that. Carl, thank you very much for your call. Who would have thought that we'd be talking about Socrates when we're bringing up AI? Uh, Hugh's given us a call in Hyatt. Good morning, Hugh. Yeah, good day. Um, Sorry, your last caller just said exactly what I'm not. I'm not an educator, I'm just a layperson, but I thought the same thing if going back to, um, well, HVCA, HSLs, and so when we had to write essays, instead of us writing essays, he just said this you present the kids with something that's generated uh, by AI or, uh, or embed other faults and get the kids to work out or, or comment on what's um, real or, or not real. Mm-hmm. And that's just teaching them to use AI. But, I mean, he just said it. So the other thing I was just thinking is he just said what I just thought. Stole um, your thunder. It's, it's a logical thing to do. Yeah, he stole it. But what about, what about rather than the, all the adults who we've all admitted don't actually get onto this stuff as quick as kids, why don't you ask the kids what to do with this? Why don't you have a kid forum or teenagers forum? And have, you know, you heard some kids talk about getting feeling they've been cheated because other kids cheated. Mm. Well, how can we, what would they do? So is there a kids forum, teenagers forum on this? I think it's a really good idea. There's lots of nodding happening from you there, Richard. Yeah, it's, um, I like both those last callers. The idea of changing the assessment system around, um, we're already doing that at Monash University where we have a thing called authentic assessment, which is an, an essay that you've regurgitated from whatever source and wherever and however is not an authentic assessment. And it doesn't really, writing, writing an essay on... Mass disaster, for example, mm. you know, in my world, doesn't make you an expert on going to a mass disaster and doing anything. All, you do, all you've done is written some stuff about it that you got out of a book or got off ChatGPT or got from wherever. So authentic assessments are really important where, you know, you might present the student with a scenario that ChatGPT won't be able to write, make sense of, a scenario like a crime scene or in my world or whatever you're thinking of, and ask them to write intelligently about that particular scenario. So that's something that we can get around the use of these sort of 
And when you sort of put a big lens on this and it's looking at how to use AI so that it can then be transferred into the real world, and you just mentioned mass disaster there. And I know mm. last time we spoke, Richard, we spoke just briefly about the work that you do in forensics and AI and mass disaster. We are seeing a mass disaster roll out now globally in Gaza Absolutely. and in yep. Israel. Yep. And so Ukraine. Of you course. So when we talk about teaching people how to use AI, the real world is now something that could be picked up and taken to Israel. How would that work? So I think the most valuable um, addition to the world of mass disasters is it's nothing to do with chat GPT or large language models. This is deep, deep machine learning at its very deepest level as being able to reconstruct automatically a human face on some unknown remains and identify that person properly without having to go through DNA, fingerprints, dental records, We've got records, people currently cetera, lining up in, in hospitals yeah. to give Present, DNA to exactly. try and figure out whether or not their loved ones are exactly. alive or dead. Yeah, so mm. that'll always play a part. But when you think about exhuming people from mass graves, so you think of the town of Butcher in Ukraine, exhuming 400-odd people from there, being able to reconstruct a recognisable face that is robust and scientifically valid will enable far more rapid identification. It will mean people will be identified who never would have been identified. It will mean families will know what happened to their relatives. And we all know the biggest horrible psychological damage you can ever have is never finding your child or your husband or your mother and not knowing what happened to them. Are they alive or dead? So um, I think that's a sort of that's a long-term project I'm working on. It'll take another at least two or three years to have any um, outputs. But that's a real positive humanitarian use of AI that would help so many people around the world. Richard Bassett is in the studio with you as well, Deputy Director, Head of Academic Programs for the Institute of Forensic Medicine at Monash University. As we talk about the future of AI in schools and how it will be used, apologies if we haven't read out your text, so many on this, but this is from Cell, Dan. It says, mm -hmm. I have some design students who are using AI tools for their project. They're terrible and they totally miss the mark. When you try to explain them then that this would not be acceptable in the real world unless you just want to design bathrooms and kitchens forever but they'll pass just unfortunately the mm. real world though will sort them out and it'll be a hard lesson and those lessons are the ones that we've been talking about throughout the show maybe we do need some of those classes to actually learn how to use chat gpt well uh, it's all baffling and scaring me so let's talk to someone who knows a little bit more about the education world adam voigt is the ceo of real schools a former principal and an education expert Adam, thanks for joining us on the Conversation Hour. Chatbeat, GPT and these regenerative and generative AI skills uh, baffle me a little bit. What's the role of these skills and tools in education? Can we trust them? Should we use them? Yeah, you probably get to a really important point there, Richard, which is this whole idea of of trust and reliability. And I think when we start to explore concepts like that is where we stop trying to just preserve the old model. I think one of the things that schools we probably aren't really great at is as the world changes, we tend to ask ourselves how we can kind of save our model, our existing yeah. model, rather than adapt to what the world is telling us is the direction that it's going in. So as schools, if we can instead say, okay, the world's heading in this direction where kids are going to have 
access to this? Um, what are the implications for us so that we can help prepare them for that real world? One of them is how do we get their kind of their, their good old fashioned Australian BS meter strong enough that they can tell when they're yeah. given poor information by services like ChatGPT? So that will become a more increasingly important skill as we as we edge our way forward with this equity and it being used properly in terms of people for remote access for those who may have learning difficulties there's a text here that says i've got dyslexia i use ai to help me form letters it's been a game changer for me when it comes to ensuring equity and learning equally can ai be a game changer adam Absolutely, it can. And there's there's some wonderful, even simple things that schools that I know that I'm working with are using ChatGPT for. That we really need to make sure that schools all around Australia have access to. I spoke to a principal recently who's used ChatGPT to build their yard duty timetable. And that's something <laughs> that that can take an enormous amount of time and, and such negotiation. Such a boring job too. <laughs> it's horrible, yeah. and it's been. You've got someone who's a highly qualified educator. <laughs> they're pouring over an Excel spreadsheet, trying to work out how to make sure that Marion, who missed out on yard, missed out on morning teas on a Friday last term, gets her shot this term. You've got a tool sitting there that is able to help our teachers with some of the administrative load that they've been telling us is burdensome. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is to make sure that everybody knows not how to kind of shut the doors and shut G- Chat GBT out, but how to use it in such a way that it's really effective for the school. It's an opportunity, not a threat. We're speaking with Adam Voigt, CEO of Real Schools, a former principal and education expert. Adam, in this case, does ChatGPT and AI just need a a bit of a rebrand rather than a reform? Yeah, in some ways, I think that what we need schools is to, like I said a moment ago, is to see it as a as an opportunity, and it's an opportunity to. Like I heard the conversation just previously about the re-looking at assessment and what does assessment look like in our schools. It's a chance for us to kind of you know point at some elephants in the room. Everybody's talking about at the moment how oh we won't be able to assess the same way because all the kids will do is go home and whack their essay into chat GPT. Well, we've kind of known for a really long time that a lot of the time when our assessment and our homework um, processes are kind of built this way, where it is that the teacher tells you something at school and they want you to go home and do something with it at home. That teachers have known forever that mostly you're finding out how good the parents are at homework. Yeah. So they're just, they're just and sourcing the homework the debate is a, a really place. good analogy as well, because there are lots of schools that actually debate whether or not homework is beneficial at all. Hey, Adam, stay with us because Jill's in Reservoir. Morning, Jill. Hi. Um, I just wanted to talk about the equity because I'm not against AI, but um, my partner's a teacher in the northern suburbs and access to computers is for the students it's really hard and a lot of students you talk about going home and doing it but they don't have yeah. all the equipment and the um, uh, software and that at home Absolutely. and they don't go to school and a lot of these schools are starved of funding and they just don't have that. He was trying to teach Well, we know that the Human Rights Commission actually made a submission into this inquiry because they were worried about equity. So, Jill, you're you're bang on. Adam, are you concerned about equity here that we will see some schools, some areas that will fly in this, but if you don't have the technology, if you don't have teachers that have access to the technology, then we are going to see a huge divide. 
Yeah, I, I would certainly say that I think the greatest threat to education in Australia is the, the, the huge dosages of inequity that exist within it. And I think that this, this presents another opportunity for us to see it. We saw it around COVID, you know, when the pandemic hit and the kids who, who needed the most support at home to be able to cope with remote and home learning um, had the least resources available to, to do it. And we had principals in those schools um, delivering laptops and iPads yeah. to houses just so kids could engage. This is another example. Um, of how inequity in our education system could divide the gap but wider between the kids who have and the kids who have not and that's not okay if we're just going to be a part of our system then we need our schools and our families that needs to be in the framework doesn't it so how do we fix that adam that's the thing chat gpt and these tools aren't going anywhere so how do we make it so that everyone has equitable access like we just heard yeah i think that it's a resourcing and a funding um imperative that we've got on our hands here we need to make sure that these schools have the resources available to them they have teachers that have been supported and trained to be able to access kids to 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 that work we need to make sure that they develop an assessment model that isn't reliant on chat gpt at home in a way that other kids who have all the advantages in life would have that access so there's a few shifts we need to make there most of them come back to funding making sure that the schools that have the least um, resources at the moment and the most need get supported effectively to help their kids the right way and then all the alarm bells go off in my mind adam thanks so much adam voigt the ceo of real schools former principal education expert just finally richard you've joined us for this conversation i mean i wrote down two things there which is that pressure to preserve the old model and it's an opportunity not a threat fundamentally is that kind of where we're at we're trying to hold on to the way that we did it i think it is with a case with a lot of older australians i mean you know i know people old frenzy people who still mourn the idea of a blackboard to write on and overhead projections and <laughs> slide <Uh-oh>. carousels, <laughs> all that sort of it's stuff. It's time to move on. And yeah. so there is, there is an element of that. It's definitely an opportunity. It's a threat to us oldies. It's a massive opportunity for all the, all the young people. And I think they just need a bit of... They need some more guidance on how to use this stuff properly. Um, the thing I took out of that last conversation, which... I can't believe in Australia today we have kids in primary schools and senior schools without a computer. I just in this in this online world that is that's almost unforgivable. Yeah, it is hardcore reality. This is their lives forever online in a lot of jobs and a lot of workplaces and education and everything is all done on even paying a bill it's all done online if you don't have access to a computer i don't know how these kids are gonna and what also concerns me is when the result is well we need to educate and we need to fund this properly how many times i mean we've got schools in parts of melbourne and regional victoria that are literally overflowing because they've got portables on tops of tops of portables they don't even have physical walls let alone alone laptops yeah laptops and then on top of that someone that can then educate you about AI and how to use it effectively. So the main concern that I've got from today's program is that it will 100% be about equity Mm. and there will be a huge divide and then what does that mean for the jobs of the future and for the opportunities of the future? I would would almost say that the technology and having a laptop and a good internet connection is more important than having a building to sit in. It's more important than walls and a classroom and it's probably cheaper to provide. 
Richard, it's always fascinating to have you join us in the studio. Thank you. We know you've just literally walked around the, the yes. corner from the coroner's court, so thank you so much. Richard Bassett is the De- Deputy Director and Head of Academic Programs at the Institute for Forensic Medicine at Monash University. Daniel Miles, how are you feeling after today? Uh, optimistic? Frightened? Need I, to go I, learn a couple of things? I know I do. Yeah. <laughs> I need to use ChatGPT a little bit and actually find out what it's about. I, I'm a little bit excited from all of the, the the myriad of conversations that we've had. The one thing that's sticking with me, Rochelle, is that this is going to be a part of the future. This is yeah. inescapable and not a fad. So Not even I, the I future, guess, it's here. Oh, true. And it's it's been, what, <laughs> nine, ten months yeah. since it actually launched? Yeah. It's, it's a little Who bit scary. Who knows what's around the corner? Who knows? That's <laughs> it. As always, Daniel Miles joining us from ABC Warrnambool. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Rish. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, take care and we'll speak soon.